Well, hey, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, if you're new with us this morning, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Zion. On behalf of all those who call this home, our leaders, our staff, and our volunteers, we want to welcome you. Thank you so much for choosing to be here. We know you could have been anywhere else sleeping in. It's, it's getting cold outside. Not a big fan. Uh, how many of you guys have had a week? I've had a week. Anybody else had a week? Thank you. That makes me feel so, last service, anybody else had a week? You're like, nope, our week was awesome. I'm like, I hate you. Um, that's not true. I don't, I don't, I hate sin. I don't hate people. <laughs> uh, well, if uh, we are in this series called Passport to Galatia, where we've been exploring Paul's letter to the Galatian church. And this is actually part two of last week, where we began talking about conflict and how we deal with conflict and here's what's going on. In Galatians, there's massive conflict going on. Paul is writing to a church of Gentile Christians, and there's these group called the Judaizers who are coming in, and they are perverting and twisting the gospel. The Judaizers were Jewish Christians who were telling these new Gentile believers, listen, yes, you're saved through Jesus, but you need to follow Moses first. And Paul is at odds with them, and he's frustrated with them. And so we see this conflict between him and them, but now we see a conflict that broils between Paul and a guy named Peter. How many of you guys are familiar with the Apostle Peter? If you're not, if you're new to church, or maybe just to help you remember, Peter, uh, he was the same guy who uh, walked on water with Jesus. The only other human being to ever walk on water with Jesus was Peter. He's also the same guy that when Jesus says, uh, hey, I'm going to die, and Peter goes, I'll never let that happen, Lord. And Jesus literally turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Now put yourself in Peter's shoes for a second. Anybody here want to have Jesus say to you, get behind me, Satan? I don't want that. Then sure enough, as soon as Jesus gets arrested, Peter denies Jesus three times. And he's so fearful of human beings, of other people at times, a little girl comes up and says, hey, aren't you the guy who hung out with Jesus? I don't, I'm pretty sure that's not how little girls sound, but okay. And he's like, no, that wasn't me. He denies Jesus three times. After Jesus is resurrected, Peter has gone back to his old way of life, back to fishing. That's what he knew. And Jesus goes and meets Peter to restore him. He eats breakfast with him and he essentially uses three more times to restore Peter back into the fold to remind Peter that God's grace extends to him and that he still has a calling in his life. I relate a lot to Peter because sometimes I put my foot in my mouth. Anybody else have foot and mouth disease? My, okay, thank you. A few people hands are raised. That's awesome. Uh, so now here's the thing. Peter was raised, and this is a recap of last week, but it's important that we're talking about this so we understand how, where we're getting to with conflict today. So Peter was raised in a distinctly Jewish home. And Jews always believed that Gentiles were wrong. In fact, some would say they were evil. It was the closest thing we have to modern day racism. Peter, in fact, uh, in, in Judaism and for Jews, a synonym for Gentile was sinner. All, all Gentiles were sinners. They were not people of God. And as a result of this, Peter had this upbringing, believing it was an us versus them, that Gentiles were unclean, they were defiled, they were wicked, they were evil. You want nothing to do with them. And when he becomes a, a follower of Jesus, remember the kingdom of God is for everybody, but in Peter's mind, this doesn't make sense. So one day in Acts, Peter is up on a roof during his noonday prayer. 
And as he's praying, the Lord puts him in this trance and God unfolds this blanket and on it are all kinds of different foods, clean and unclean. See, as a Jew, you never ate unclean animals. You didn't do it because it made you unclean. Gentiles ate unclean animals. And as he's seeing this blanket unfold with all these different animals that are clean and unclean, the Lord says to Peter, Peter, get up, kill and eat. And Peter says, surely not, Lord. I will, I've never put anything unclean in my mouth. I'm a Jew. Again, the Lord says, Peter, get up, kill and eat. And Peter goes, no, 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 no. Okay, this must be a test. How many of you find yourself that it takes more than a few times for God to break through to you? Anybody else in that? Like this, you're a good company. Peter, no, no, no. Surely, Lord, this must be a test. I would never eat anything unclean. Since I was a child, I've only eaten the right things. And again, the Lord says, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. And Peter goes, oh, okay. <laughs> and he realizes that God is now telling him, hey, I can eat whatever I want in Jesus. There's no such thing as unclean animals. And then a knock at the door comes. And three men from a guy named Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion, Cornelius sends three men because the angel of the Lord gave him a vision and told him that he needed to find this guy named Peter to share this gospel with him, how to be saved. And Peter comes down. Now remember, Peter hated Gentiles, wanted nothing to do with them. Peter comes down, follows the three men, and he goes into this Gentile's house, something that a no good Jew would ever do. And there he leads Cornelius to faith. Cornelius gets baptized, surrenders his life to the Lord, and he is an entire household gets saved. The next day, Peter is hanging out with his Jewish brothers and sisters, and he says, hey, let me tell you what the Lord did. The Lord showed me this vision with all these clean and unclean animals, and, and now what I realize is I thought that God was just telling me, in Jesus, I can eat anything I want to, but he was actually showing me that Gentiles can be saved, that what God has declared as clean can never be unclean. Here's what I want you to hear. In Jesus... No matter what you've done, if you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord, you are clean. Say that with me. I am clean. I am clean. In Jesus, you are clean. There is no longer Gentile. There is no longer Jew. There are just Jesus followers. This changed Peter's life. It upended years of indoctrination, believing it was an us versus them. And here's what happens. A little bit later, Peter, and this is where we're getting into our text today, Galatians chapter 2. Peter goes to Antioch, which is a city in Galatians in Galatia, to go see the work that Paul is doing with the Gentiles. And as Peter is there, he begins to eat with the Gentiles, something he never would have done before. And as he's eating, he's sitting at the table, not just doing table fellowship. I mean, this is like straight out of like Mean Girls. We talked about that last week, right? You had jocks and nerds and, and you had band people and you had computer people and you had anime people, people who watched that with Naratu or whatever it is that Sean watches. I don't know what it's called. It's It's weird. <laughs> it's not. I just, <laughs> Sean's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, whatever. dude. And here's what happens. Peter is eating with the Gentiles, but he's not just eating with them. He's eating their food, which is evidence of the work that God has done in his life. Until a group of Jewish believers come into town from Jerusalem. And while the Bible tells us, Paul tells us that Peter was afraid Peter gets up and he leaves his Gentile brothers and sisters and goes and sits with his own kind. And Paul is furious. See, Paul's been at battle 
with this group of Judaizers who are leading these Gentiles astray, telling them that Jesus isn't enough, that they need more than Jesus. And here's what he says in Galatians. He goes, I even oppose Peter to his face. And I tell Peter, Peter, you who were just eating with the Gentiles, you who were doing the, not just eating with them, eating the same food as them, then you dare get up and leave and try and tell them that they need to become Jewish first? How dare you? That's the Jason paraphrase. He's upset. He's mad. Now, sometimes what happens in the church is this, is we read Paul and we think Paul is our example. Paul is not the example. Jesus is. Who's the example? Paul is a human being just like Peter just like you, just like me. Paul is not perfect. And I think as we read that text, sometimes scholars and Christians want to believe, well, if it's in the Bible, it must be what God wanted it to be. But here's what I think happened. I think Paul, even though he was right in his anger, I don't think he handled it right with Peter. See, Jesus tells us that when we have conflict, we're supposed to go to our brother one-on-one and confront him on their sin. But That's not what the scripture tells us. Now, I read one commentator who actually said, because I think, again, we struggle with this idea that Paul's a work in progress, just like the rest of us, that, well, obviously, Paul must have gone to Peter one-on-one beforehand. That's why he got so angry. That's not what the text says. The text tells us is that Paul was upset, and he opposed Peter to his face, and then he confronts Peter in front of everybody. And I wonder, see, sometimes Christians are so afraid of the humanity of Scripture, but I think that's what makes Scripture beautiful, is the only person we aspire to look and be like is Jesus. Amen? And so when we see this, instead of having to romanticize it or to make Paul the hero and Peter the villain, to realize that Peter, he's guilty of the same sins we are. Sometimes we forget the gospel. Sometimes we forget what God has done in us. Anybody here ever forgotten the work that God has done in your life and you end up going back to old things instead of living in the new things? You know what I'm talking about? And maybe Paul had a little bit of a temper and sometimes he let the anger get the best of him. And, and instead of dealing with things the right way, he dealt with them the wrong way, which is why in just four chapters later in Galatians chapter six, Paul says these words. He says, brothers and sisters, when you see somebody caught in sin, that word caught literally means they're trapped in sin. Most people, when they're caught in sin, they didn't choose it. They become trapped into it. Some people choose it. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes we do. But a lot of times we're caught. We're like an animal ensnared. We're like that gullible fish that sees the shiny thing and has to bite it. Next thing you know, we're hooked. And he says, you restore them gently. Otherwise, Satan might get a hold of you and you might become tempted. I don't think Paul handled Peter very gently. I think Galatians chapter 6 is the Holy Spirit reminding Paul, hey, Paul, you still got work to do. I still have work to do. You still have work to do. Now, I realize this is a recap, but we're, we're going into something special today, and I'm really excited about this. Um, we've got a guest with us today, uh, Gary Burge, who is a therapist in our area, who used to be on staff with us as a resident counselor. They recently moved back, and here's the thing. He is an expert. He went to school for counseling. For years, uh, I used to say that I was doing premarital counseling, or I would do marriage counseling. Here's the deal. I didn't go to school for counseling. I went to school for theology, and yes, I took some counseling classes. What I do is coaching. He is actually a counselor. And we're going to have him come up today, and we're going to talk about eight ways in which we handle conflict. And I'm asking him as somebody who studies this, who's dedicated his life to helping people work through the stuff in their life, and conflict is part of that. But before we bring him on here, I want to remind us of a couple things. See, there are three sides to conflict when it comes to remember that it's important for us to remember in conflict. 
And we talked about these last week, and I, I want to bring them back up before we get into the eight things to remember. The first one is this. We can all forget the gospel. Every single one of us, our actions don't always line up with our beliefs. And what that should do in us is this. It should cause a level of humility to remind yourself that you're not perfect. And before you blow up on somebody else, they're not perfect either. James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. See, when we're, we have an honest evaluation of ourselves, realizing that I can forget the gospel, and if I can, that means other people should have the right to as well. And then that should lead us to what Jesus challenged us to in Matthew chapter 7, which is before you take the speck of dust out of your brother or sister's eye, take the giant log out of your own. Before you lose it on somebody else, realize that you've got your own stuff to deal with. And then that leads us to check this out, Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest but each of you to the interest of others. In other words, this, usually when conflict happens, it happens because the only person I'm thinking about is me. Isn't that why we have fights? Is because I'm only thinking about myself in that moment. You hurt me. You offended me. You, you, you hurt me, me, me. And what Paul reminds us in Philippians is that well, I'm supposed to put other people's interests above my own. And here's the crazy part. That's really hard. <laughs> which is why we need the Holy Spirit. The second thing, the second side of conflict is this, is that you're going to have it. You're going to have conflict. It's how you handle it that matters. Instead of trying to run away from it or seek it out, it's what you do with it that matters. And that's really what we're talking about today. This is a reminder from Galatians 6.1. I just talked about this. Paul wrote, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. And then the third one, and this is the most important, and there are three big words here, ready? Healthy confrontation should focus on reconciliation for the sake of transformation. Catch the words, confrontation, reconciliation, transformation. If someone is going into conflict and they ultimately don't want to reconcile and they don't want to bring transformation, it's not healthy conflict. Sometimes you're just fighting to fight. I know no one here has ever just fought to fight, especially if you're married. No one ever has just lost it. So when do we have conflict? When is it okay? Well, first of all, when the message of the gospel is at stake. When the gospel is being perverted and twisted. And I, I hope, I pray that there are those of you in this church who love me enough that if I ever intentionally, sometimes I screw up my words, like everybody here says, thing, says something they don't mean. Give me the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes I just don't have the right words at the right moment. But if I ever got up here, and let's make sure that this is full, in full context because this is online. If I were to ever get up and say, hey, you don't need Jesus to be saved, I pray, I hope that my brothers and sisters in Christ, that my counsel, my staff, my friends will say, Jason, what's up with that, dude? Because we're called to protect the gospel. And sometimes pastors forget it, including me. 
There are other times in which conflict is going to happen is when someone is causing harm to you or to others. When there's division or fracture, we are called to protect the unity of the church. And when somebody is being divisive, sometimes conflict needs to happen. But here's a bigger one, boundaries. When boundaries are crossed, boundaries are healthy. We're supposed to have boundaries in our life. When people cross boundaries, sometimes we need to have hard conversations and say, hey, stop. That's not okay. Because here's what happens. Eventually, when people disrespect boundaries, they move into other things, abuse, physical, spiritual, emotional, sexual abuse. Those are breaking of boundaries. Conflict should happen when that happens. And most people don't want to get there. It just happens and it's usually because of their own brokenness and their own pain and their own life. And sometimes that bleeds out onto you. Sometimes people say hurtful words or actions and we need conflict when somebody says something painful or hurtful. Sometimes it's hard to have the hard conversation. Conflict is inevitable. Battle is optional. Now, when somebody doesn't want to reconcile or when somebody is just wanting to cause harm, Sometimes you just need to take the route of Jesus and just wipe the dust off your feet and move on. Because they don't want reconciliation. They don't want transformation. They just want to cause harm. And those people are called toxic. Amen? So all these things ultimately lead to this, which is what we find in the Lord's Prayer, is when someone has sinned or owes us a debt or have trespassed on us, sometimes we need to have conflict. Now, here's the problem. See, what happens is there are some people avoid conflict, some people seek out conflict, but healthy people work through conflict. That's always should be the goal is to work through. And sometimes you have to be ready for that. So how do we work through conflict? Well, there's a couple things. And here's what I want you to hear. Um, the Bible is not a psychology help, self-help book. It's not. I know some people want to pre approach it that way. There are books written that way, but that's not how the Bible was written. Jesus was not a psychologist, neither was Paul, neither was Peter. They didn't dedicate themselves to the study of conflict management, but the Bible is filled with wisdom. And there are wise things. But here's the thing. As a wise person, I also seek out advice and wisdom from those who do study it. And I praise God for guys like Henry, Town, uh, Henry Cloud and John Townsend, prolific authors on mental health and how we deal with health, uh, uh, conflict and boundaries and other things. Guys like Larry Crabb, people like Gary Burge. And so we're going to, when we look at these tips, we're not just going off of scripture, though all of them are rooted in the wisdom of scripture. They're also taken from people who have spent a life dedicated to learn how to work through the hardships, the difficult things about being people. Because the hard thing is, is we're humans and humans are flawed, right? Sometimes we don't handle things the best. And here's part of the problem. Some of us, some of us approach conflict with a funnel. We just let all of our emotions and our feelings and our words pour in. And you know what happens when you pour all that stuff out here? It comes out stronger down here. And usually people who are funnelers, they'll just say this. Well, Jason, it's not my fault. That's just who I am. I just speak my mind. Well, everybody else thinks you're a jerk. <laughs> There's another word for that biblically. People who call themselves funnelers and make excuse for it. They lack self-control. Funneling is easy. It's easy just to pour all that I am and just let you have to deal with it. I feel better, but they feel worse. I know no one here has ever been on the receiving end of a funneler. And I'm sure no one here has ever been a funneler. I can't tell you how many arguments I've had with my wife or somebody I love, and I get done and I feel great. And they're walking away feeling the death of all the ickiness of what's just come out from the funnel. We're called to self-control, and funnelers don't want to do that what we need 
is a filter. See, here's the problem with filters. Now, I don't, I don't know if Megan's here or not. Um, this is Megan's filter. Everybody judge her now. <laughs> Megan brought this from her house during first service. I shared this. Um, she's like, Jason, thank you for reminding me. I need to change my filter. But what's the purpose of a filter? A filter is meant to slow things down and remove all the junk that's not helpful or healthy. Too many of us don't approach conflict with a filter because we're too busy funneling. And what the Bible tells us, and this is what James 1.19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. When you're slow to speak, you are filtering. We need filters. So here's what we're doing. We're going to do something a little bit different today. And I'll be honest, I, I don't normally like to preach this way, but this whole text in Galatians chapter 2 is about conflict. And conflict is in the Bible, but the Bible doesn't always just tell us one great way to handle conflict. So we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to talk about eight healthy filters to help us with conflict. And in order to do that, I'm going to invite Gary Burge and Jennifer Colby up to the stage. Can everybody just give them a welcome? And I'm going to take a drink of my caffeinated blueberry ice because I need it. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I don't know why I just made a big grandstand of all that for you to watch. Watch me take my drink. This is product placement. That's all. <laughs> Missy, you're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> she works for them. Uh, all right. So here's the thing. Gary, um, Gary is a trained professional. Jennifer and I are not. But what Jennifer, Jennifer and I are, are human beings who often deal with conflict. And Gary doesn't, just because he's an expert, doesn't mean he handles it perfectly. It means that he's trained and studied on conflict management. He's worked through, he's done the work. What I did for theology, he's done for psychology. Psychology, right? Yes. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> I always get confused, psychiatry and psychology. They always, always, I know one of them can do medicine. All right, so... Here's the other part. Um, we're going to do a Q&A time, which throughout this, there's going to be a number on the screen, and you can text in any question, and that doesn't mean every question is going to get answered, um, but we're going to have a Q&A, which during this, if something comes up, Jennifer will pause and say, hey, we have a question, and Gary will answer. Um, the goal of this is that we want to understand that the purpose of Christianity is to be practical and helpful, and the Bible does talk about conflict. And so we've looked at these eight ways, and here's kind of the first thing, and, and this will be available on a handout after service if you'd like a copy of it. First, filter, filtering question to help with conflict. Am I living out who Jesus has called me to be? In other words, Christians are called to look different than the rest of the world. And that means we're called to handle conflict differently than the world. The world wants to handle conflict through, there's always got to be a winner and it better be me. That's not how Jesus tells us to handle conflict. We should all desire, and I'm assuming that every person in this room wants to love Jesus. We may not do it well, but I believe every person here wants to love Jesus. I believe every person here wants to love their friends, their spouses, their children, their family like Jesus, but we, always, we don't always do it well. Um, so listen to this. This is from Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Everything we need to know, uh, this is actually not part of the verse, this is for me. Everything we need to know about forgiving one another can be learned by reflecting on how God has forgiven us in Christ. 
Forgiveness can take time. So Gary, let me ask you this. And we talked about this in the first service and we don't have a prescripted questions beforehand. So some of these may change. Um, you work with Christians and non-Christians in counseling. Yes. What would you say is the primary difference or what are some things that are different for those who are Christians that they have accessible to them that maybe people who aren't Christians? Well, those, we as believers, as, as Christians, we have obviously the Bible. We also have the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And within us, and giving us the words to say if, if we ask for them. And we have that kind of power to rely on. Now, those who are, are not believers, most of the time they are relying on themselves and what I can do within, uh, within myself to resolve conflict. But we as, we as Christians, we do have the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a big assumption there is that as a Christian, you're actually reading the Bible and praying and meeting with Jesus. Uh, I'll just be honest, in my own life, there are seasons where I don't read scripture. There have been seasons when I've been distant from the Lord, and in that when I have conflict or other issues, I'm not often reminded of what I'm in. So my relationship with Jesus matters. Yes, absolutely. And relying on that power and recognizing that it's there and it's available okay. for us. That's great. Now, here's the thing. This is, this is kind of the foundation for everything. We're assuming that you're here because you want to follow Jesus. If you don't want to follow Jesus, then you can scrap that, but you're going to have a hard time with some of the rest of this, just being honest. Um, second filter is this issue mine or theirs? And here's the thing. This is a, a, a cause or a, a pause to check your motivation, to really examine and ask yourself the question. Now, sometimes conflicts just pop up. That, that's happens. That's part of life. But sometimes we plan for conflict and we're go, I'm going to have this conversation or I'm, I'm ready to do this or I'm going to talk to my spouse or I'm going to talk to my coworker. I'm going to have this conversation. And this is a pause, a gut check to check your motivation first. This comes from J James chapter four, verses one through two. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war with you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Um, and now I'd be curious from either one of you, what is the most difficult part about checking yourself first of making sure is that your issue or theirs? What's the most difficult part in that? I, I think uh, from my perspective and, and what I've learned is that we want to be heard. We want to be heard immediately and we want to get our point across because there may, there may not be an opportunity if the other person is talking you know, loudly and kind of superseding what we want to say. So we want to get our point. We want to get it out there yeah. so we can be heard. So what you're saying then is that sometimes we don't have time to check our motivation because we're so busy about wanting to be heard first. All about self, being selfish, unfortunately, and saying, I want to be heard. I want to get it out there. And then you can say what And that doesn't happen to, to Christians at all. Not at all. Not, I, I, Christians I never struggle with this. I've never done it. No, I... <laughs> His wife is at home, by the way. That's why he's saying she's, that. She's watching right now, so uh, <laughs> forgive me, dear. They'll have words later. <laughs> um, I know for me, often the hardest part is it's sometimes I'm blind to my own issues. And sometimes in my mind, I've created the case about why I'm right or why I should be heard. And sometimes this is where the Holy Spirit can come in, but also... Uh, and I want, and we didn't say this first service, so hopefully some people are going to hear this, but there's a difference between gossiping and seeking counsel from somebody to help. Now, gossips are people who are just going around and telling people their problems because they want to triangulate or they just want to vent or dump. And you know where you take things that are toxic is to the dump. Last time I checked, I don't want to be a dumping ground. But I'll have people who will come to me and like, hey, I had this happen. What they're looking for is counsel. 
Sometimes it's helpful to have somebody in your life, a professional counselor, a pastor, a good friend that you can share a story with, not to build a case, but to have someone in love who can say, yeah, that might just be your issue. I think you need to turn. It should go up. Yeah, it was, it was up. There you go. Okay. It's up now. I think a good friend or a counselor or a pastor at, helps you to filter, helps yeah. you to act like a filter of like, what junk stays on? What junk is mine that I have to own that stays on this side of the filter? Oh, yeah. So that it, when it goes through, it's a, the pure, truer, loving, Christ-like form. Um, years ago, I one of my mentors, a guy named Garth, uh, it's a good friend of mine now. Uh, when Mar- Lisa and I first got married, we had a lot of conflict in our marriage. And that is pretty common in a lot of new marriages. And Garth was one of those filters for me. And he would normally listen to me and often try and encourage me. And one day I shared about how my wife was all wrong. And he looked at me, and I won't use his words because we're at church. But he looked at me and he goes, Jason, you're a jerk. He didn't say the word jerk. And I go, what? He goes, none of that was your wife's issue. That's all you. <laughs> and I went back and I apologized to Lisa. And her response is, so who helped you see that? Well, Garth, I couldn't, I couldn't point that out to you. No. No, you couldn't say that to me, but he said it, and I was able to recognize that wasn't her issue. That's a great example. Um, third, filter. Will this help heal or strengthen the relationship? Sometimes we're so busy wanting to be heard that we'll go out and we'll just want to vent on the person or spout on the person so we feel better, not realizing that it actually might hurt the relationship more. Or that it's not strengthening your relationship, it's just you wanting to dump. What advice or counsel would you give to somebody who maybe there are, uh, there are people in this room who struggle at times because they don't slow down enough to ask the question, is this going to heal or strengthen? Or is there any advice or counsel that you would give them to help them kind of weed that or work it, through that? It's interesting because many times we get to that point where we do want to be heard. We want to get it out there. And I like to counsel people, you know, going to the word. Uh, number one, but also to be able to pray if you have an opportunity. I've even counseled people to pray during the conflict. Seek God while you're in the midst of it because he can give you the words to be able to say to not hurt and cause pain, especially to those that that we love, and we we do that. And so that power of prayer, we have the word and, and use it. So now I'll be honest, usually when I'm in conflict, I'm not thinking about Jesus. Um, <laughs> and, and that's hard. And I think that's part of it. It's taking that pause. Listen to this verse from James chapter one, verse two through four. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. What are trials? Conflicts. Conflicts are trials. Conflicts are opportunity for growth. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Um, Here's the the crazy thing is that when you actually work through conflict well, when you actually are able to take a step back and not just funnel on somebody but filter through, it actually can make the relationship better and healthier. And there's a real beauty in that when you can work through something. Now, the other person has to be willing to do that as well. And I think sometimes there's hurts. Um, How would you encourage people that sometimes there are relationships that are hurt, that are struggling, that the other person, until they deal with that hurt, they can't work through the conflict because they're dealing with hurt? What would you recommend in that? I think we on the other side of that, recognizing hopefully the relationship is transparent enough that we know where that person is at and what they've dealt with and the kind of pain and suffering that they've had. So be compassionate 
and be loving and understand, I love this person with all of my heart. I know some, maybe not all of what they've been through, can I love them in return enough to be able to sit with them in the midst of their pain, in the midst of their suffering, yeah. and to be able to take a step back and just be there for them. Yeah. And sometimes I think that's tough because when you've got your stuff and they've got your stuff, sometimes you have to work through yours so you can, and often, and, and I'm a big proponent of counseling and um, there's different types of therapies out there that help. Sometimes you have people who are dealing with their own pains, which is why they can't, they don't know how to work through conflict because they haven't dealt with the inner conflict. Um, and so that's, that's a great word. Um, filter number four. Now, again, at any point, you guys can text questions, and Jennifer, when she gets those, she'll pause us and ask, and they may go backwards or forwards in what we've talked about. Can I interrupt with one right now? Please, yeah. Um, this one is, so you're talking about, like, letting people work through their pain and, and letting them, but what if they, wonder if you do everything you think you can. You, you use all these filter questions, uh, but they still won't listen or respect you in coming to them respectfully. I think at that point, you have to be able to set your boundaries for your own health and safety. Mm. Sometimes it's difficult because we as believers will, so I'll just, you know, walk all over me, say whatever you want, do whatever you want, and I just, I just, I'll just put up with it. But our Lord set boundaries. Yeah. And so understanding that boundaries are vitally important. We don't set them for the other person. We set them for ourselves as yeah. well. Because it's how you're going to be known is by your boundaries. So if this other person uh, is continually hurting you, uh, you need to be able to set those boundaries. You need to be able to say, I can't allow you to do this, and I love you, and I love myself enough to not allow that. Yeah. And there are consequences to boundaries. If you set a boundary with somebody and there's no consequences, what is it? It's nothing. Yeah. But to be able to set a boundary to say, this may injure our relationship, this may hurt us, because of what's going on and I need you to stop or we need to get some help to work through this. Yeah. And there's, I think that's the hard part with the, the boundary question. Um, I think it's Henry Townsend who said this, um, or Henry Cloud, sorry. Uh, people who don't have boundaries don't know how to respect boundaries. And healthy individuals have learned how to have boundaries in their life, including in marriages. Like there are, even in marriage, it's healthy to have boundaries in marriage. There are some things that are just not okay to walk on. Um, and in church, a lot of conflicts that happen in church because we neglect boundaries. Uh, we forget that people have their own experiences and that sometimes we'll, we'll step on those not realizing that we're crossing a boundary, which is in, in the Lord's Prayer. One of the things it talks about is forgive us our trespasses. What's a trespass? It's ignoring a boundary. Will you yeah. give us some examples of, this is a question that just came through, of some Christ-like boundaries? One of the, uh, I think one of the best ones is when you set a boundary with someone, when there's a trespass, when there's something that happens, and you set a boundary with somebody in love, that shows them, and that what that says to me, even as a therapist, when I'm working with somebody, how much you love that person. Do you love them enough to set a boundary with them to preserve the relationship, or do you not care about the relationship? I'm just, whatever, I'm not going to set a boundary. You go do what you're going to do, because I don't care about the relationship, but I care about it enough to set the boundary. Boundaries are loving. So, And it sounds like what they're asking specifically, like an example of a good boundary is, I'm not going to let you speak to me that way. Um, sometimes, and some people don't understand the power of their words. Words have consequences. And some people will use their words or their tones. And, and this is the hard part. Um, I'm very sensitive to tones. 
And I know a lot of men are. And my wife will say things and I'll say, hey, please don't talk to me like that. And she's not meaning to. She didn't even realize it. I have a look, apparently. My wife is like, you have a look. I'm like, it's just my face. I can't help it. And, and sometimes you need to have be able to say, please don't talk to me like that. Um, so I think that's an example. Are, are there other right, examples? Right. Of Another example would be, uh, and it comes into abusive situations. <clears throat> I, I can't allow you to, to hit me. I can't allow yeah. you to sexually abuse me or to use me in, a, in an abusive manner. Yeah. So being able to set those boundaries, um, again, they show love. But it also shows that you love yourself yeah. enough to be able to set those boundaries and say, I can't allow you to do that, whether it's something verbal, whether it's a behavior, no matter what it is. And it's, I believe that it's very Christ-like to love ourselves enough to do that, but to yeah. love that other person enough to set the boundary with them to preserve the relationship. So hold on to the next question. I, I, no, I will. Can okay. I just add something real Please, quick? Yeah, yeah. I think the other thing about boundaries <clears throat> is then that gives us an opportunity, if it's been trespassed, to handle that conflict in a better manner of like, Hey, we already made this agreement. Like yeah. this is already something we had discussed and we had worked through. Why, why did this happen again? And it gives us a, a starting point that we can say, I'm not angry. You know, I can just go from there at that point on and not have to filter through my emotions yeah. and all the rest of that. Yeah, that's good. Uh, fourth, uh, or fourth filter. Is this about being right or being righteous? Uh, usually when we get in fights, we're so concerned about being right. We're not actually thinking about righteousness and righteousness means a right relationship. And here's the funny thing. When I actually am trying to be righteous in a relationship, whatever is right will rise to the surface. But if I'm fighting to prove that I'm right, what I'm usually doing is stepping on the other person in the process and not bringing the relationship. But here's the hard part. I might be wrong. I might think I'm right. But here's the thing. If we pursue righteousness to be in right relationship, the truth and what is right ultimately will rise to the surface. Um, listen to Proverbs uh, 3, 5 through 6 here. And, and here's the... Again, Scripture is not meant to be a counseling book, but it, is ha it has wisdom. It's, written, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's written by human beings. Um, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. In other words, don't trust yourself so much. We tend to trust ourselves way too much. We tend to trust our emotions, our thoughts, our gut feelings way too much. And instead, what we need to do is trust the Lord. And that's where we're reminded of the example of Jesus. Jesus had great boundaries, but part of his boundary was righteousness. He always wanted to be in right relationship first. And ultimately, he was right. Uh, fifth filter, am I willing and ready to listen and understand? Now, here's the hard part. If you're not willing and ready to understand, to listen and understand, maybe you should take a beat and hold off. Um, this comes back to don't be the judge and jury, but also we're reminded in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. And again, all of these are on that handout, which you can get after service. In Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 3, here's what Paul writes to the church in Rome. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. You can only listen and seek understanding if you realize you're not perfect. If you have an honest estimation of yourself that you might be wrong. And I can tell you in the coaching that I do for marriages and the coaching that I do with Christians, often the biggest obstacle to them moving forward is their unwillingness to listen and understand the other person's perspective. Or you have one person, they just expect you to listen and understand, but they're unwilling to listen and understand. And that doesn't lead anywhere good. And it's an unwillingness of the heart, not necessarily of the ears. That's right. right. Yeah. yeah. Um, here's the sixth filter. 
was, and it's very similar to the second or third one, was I really offended or hurt or did I take offense or find a reason to be hurt? Sometimes you may not be in a healthy state and so everything hurts. So you just find reasons to be upset. And maybe the filter, the pause is to ask the question, was I already angry? Or maybe you've got some unresolved trauma or issues in your life so that that person says something and they weren't meaning to hurt you, but you were already so upset that you basically were looking for a reason. You were, you were ready to peck a fight, you know? <laughs> um, how would you coach individuals, whether it be married or at business, how, how would you coach individuals to maybe take a pause and ask the question, were they really hurt or were they looking to be hurt? And I think that's it's important for us to consider that motivation. What's going on? What's in the background? What's happening? What usually what happens is that there is a need, some kind of need that hasn't been met, uh, perhaps during the course of our day. So we come kind of loaded for bear. We're yeah. ready to go. It doesn't matter what you say, but I am going to lash out. I have done that on rare occasions, but <laughs> I, I think what happens uh, has happened to me before is. I haven't been able to process what I've gone through. So if something is said that triggers me, then I'm just gonna go off, I'm gonna ratchet it up, yeah. and I'm gonna turn it into something that is a disaster and painful for both my wife and I, uh, and we both suffer for it. Uh, I like to be able to take that pause when I can, when I remember to do it, keep my brain in my skull, which is real important because if yeah. you don't, you're going to take it out and throw it across the room because you're not using it anymore. Yeah. Keep thinking and understand uh, what your motivation is. I think that's that's such a big one. Um, and I, I'm, I know all of us can relate to this. We've had that moment where it started off with a small conflict and someone says just the wrong thing and it goes from a small conflict to full-on nuclear war. And I think that's that, that ability. Like you said that in first services that when we're in conflict, we usually check our brains out at the door. And we just, we just go with whatever's there, not thinking through it, which is why we need that pause. Now, sometimes conflict just comes up on you and you're not planning on it. And, and here's the question I would ask. How would you encourage people that are in the middle of conflict to slow down and to take a beat? Because that's difficult. Like when you're in it, it's so hard to stop. And we did a little role playing during first one, but and and I I like to do it very similarly. As Christians, we have the ideal of how we think we'll do it, and then we have the actual. <laughs> so we did it originally between he and I, and he's like, "Let's act like we're married," and I'm like, "Nope." So Jennifer, and Jennifer and Gary are going to act it's like it's not a, any less awkward. No, it's a for you. <laughs> that's true. That's true. So okay, so they're in a conflict, but here's the thing: sometimes it's hard to stop conflict. And, and here's the thing, I, on all, this is something I've realized and I've developed and I've learned about myself over the last several years. When pain happens, I check out or I flee, but this is how I flee. I may not always leave the room, I'll just mentally check out. I avoid pain, I don't like pain. And other people are like, let's go, I'm ready to rumble, right? And, and, and so it's hard because one person might be fleeing because they don't know how to handle the pain and all that does is make the other person more angry. You know what I'm talking about? So how would you, let's, let's do a little role play scenario. And I want you to give the Christian ideal and then we'll do the actual. <laughs> okay. Well, I, ideally, um, when we're, you know, we're just not doing well right now and I feel that we're just really in a bad place and I'm hurting and you're hurting. And what I'd like to ask you, Jennifer, if, if we could just take this to the Lord right now, you could just give me your hand and we could just pray right now and <laughs> seek him because I don't want to hurt you. And I know you don't want to hurt me in our relationship. 
means so much. Because we know this is exactly how it goes out whenever you're in a fight. But here's what's awesome about this. For married couples in particular, what we can do now is have like a conversational prayer where mm-hmm. you say your side, I say my side, but it's both yeah. to the Lord. You guys can stop holding yeah. hands. It's making you uncomfortable. Thank you. And, sorry. <laughs> yep, it got weird. Do you want to hold my hand now to even it out? No, okay, just checking. No kumbaya. But recognizing that... Um, but I do, so I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I do like in a real situation, though, that sometimes actually that physical connection actually really, yeah. can, really can help you with the pause and really can help you filter. Yeah. And we want to watch it that we're not, uh, again, being self-righteous and coming and saying... We need to pray. <laughs> seek the Lord now. I've done that too. And, and, Doesn't and go instead, well. Instead, it's it's got to be, and you said it, it's got to be from the heart. And the heart says, and then it's going to come out. But again, as you said too before, Jason, the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Now, now, usually, what happens is we need to disengage. We need so to disengage. Show how you would disengage in a healthy way that tells the person, "I'm not running. I'm right, taking right. a step." Jennifer, this is really going to a bad place for us. And I, you know, I, I don't want to cause any pain. I know you don't want to cause any pain. Let's just take a break. Let's take a break for a few minutes. And I'm just going to go over here into the other room and you can stay here or go somewhere. If that's all right with you, I value our relationship. I don't want this to go any further. So if we can just kind of disconnect for a little while, collect ourselves and then come back together and let's continue to talk this out. What I really love about that is a couple of things. One, he asked for my permission. Yeah. Right. Two, he um, he's giving an opportunity to to have a break, and if, and if I, and setting a boundary by doing that, and if I step back into it now, I am breaking the boundary. Yeah. And also, he assumed my intentions were good. I know you don't want to hurt me. That's, yeah. And and I think that's there's a part of it. He also gave a time frame. Can we just take a couple minutes, or I just need an hour to reset? And and sometimes I'll tell you as somebody who sometimes likes to engage in a fight. Some people are the followers, like the other person's trying to disengage and the other person's, no, we're going to talk about this. And you, we know how that goes, right? And, and here, I think if you can both agree in that moment, you're not avoiding, you're taking a healthy step. You want to watch and- something real quick, if I could. So I just, just thought of this. You want to watch doing this. Jennifer, you are just out of control. And I, <laughs> and, you know, and I, I need to take the higher ground. And I, I'm going to take a break while you collect yourself. And then... <laughs> I'll be I see. Back. I see a bunch of husbands taking notes. Don't do that. I'll be back, and then you know we'll fix this. I'll help you through it. <laughs> that Sorry. was awesome. So All right. Scary. All right. So filter number seven. Do I know why I'm angry or hurt? Could it just be a misunderstanding? Yeah. And, and very quickly, uh, this is a, a very. It's a rule in counseling. I think they do it in AA. They do it in Celebrate Recovery. It's called halt. Um, if you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired you are more apt to have a harder conflict or to make bad decisions. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. For you people who like to take notes, write that down. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And if you're able to take a moment and say, wait, am I hurt because I was already hurt? Am I hurt because it's a misunderstanding? And sometimes it's helpful to assume that the person who loves you really does have the best intentions and they probably didn't mean to hurt you. Sometimes when we're angry, we do mean it. And that's a different conversation. But even in a work environment, like I know Jennifer and I, we've had conflict and almost every time it's been a misunderstanding. Almost every single time it's, I said something that I didn't realize how it came across and it caused pain or I made a decision. And here's the thing, because we've worked through it and she brought it up first service, so I felt like I could bring it up second service. Um, We worked through that conflict and here was the best part. When we worked through it and had hard words, it actually made us stronger. And now I, I trust her more. 
and I feel like you trust me more. And it allows us to have healthier conflict because once you work through conflict right one time, it becomes easier the second time. It's building that habit. All right, here's the last one. And I'm going to invite the worship team back up here. Uh, and this is a big one. Going off. I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. Um, this is the last one, and I think this is critical for us. Make it about us, not us versus them or me versus them. So often conflict is you assume that the other person is out to get you, and it's a me versus them. But if you make it about us, we're reminded that we are called to be in unity with one another. Unity is at the heart of the gospel. It's part of the racial reconciliation stuff. It's part of why marriages are supposed to be healthy, is we're called to be united. And if you assume that you're already in confrontation, that there's a battle, you're forgetting the bigger enemy is Satan, not your spouse, not your coworker, um, not the person who hurt you. Satan is the real enemy. Satan is the one who's taking advantage. And that what that can lead to is a real healthy understanding of an us versus them. Here's what we're going to do. So I know there are a bunch of questions came in. Um, we're going to have, Gary was on this week's Breakthrough, Breakthrough Breakdown podcast. Uh, so he was on for this week. I think we're also going to do a Facebook because we had a bunch of questions that came over the last two where we're going to ask more questions. Um, how many guys found this helpful and engaging? Was this fun? Yeah, let's give it up. Give a big thank you. Thank you guys both. Here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to take our tithe and offering. We're going to sing a little bit and then Derek's going to dismiss us. Um, let's stand and let's worship the Lord. And if you have your tithe and offering, please bring it forward.